Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 17 uh, this morning as we continue our study in this very important book. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us if you're online. Try to get your eyes on a copy of the Scripture. It'd be page 925 if you're using ours here. Any financial planner will tell you that the sooner you get started with financial plan, the better you'll be uh, later on. And if a, a planner is talking to somebody young, they might say, you need to think about 30 years from now. 30 years, that, that's good advice. It's long term, right? Because if you have good financial self-control and, and you have wise investments for 30 years, you'll be, you'll be a lot better off when you come towards the, that final portion of your life when you might not be working. 30 years. Have you thought about 30 million years from now? That's what Paul's going to be talking about here is the 30 million year plan, and that's just getting started because, you see, we believe the Scripture teaches us that we have eternal life. Eternal is forever. And there is a significant investment that we can make in this tiny fraction of of life that we have that will in some very special way affect eternity. Last week in the previous passage, Paul was illustrating God's plan for building his eternal church. He said the illustration is like God that's, that's developing a crop in the field like a farmer. This week, he switches the metaphor to say it's like God is building his eternal church as a, as a structure, like a, like a building with a foundation, and, and then you build on the foundation. If you notice at the end of verse 9, he makes this transition of the, the illustration or metaphor. You are God's field, and then he says building, God's building also. So field to Building, And if you go to the end of our passage today, look at verses 16 and 17. This is actually part of this, 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 this important passage about eternal rewards. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And he means you all, the, the church. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So God is building his eternal church. He says, that's you guys. So with that picture in mind, we see in verse 10 where we begin that Paul says, let's start with the foundation that I was privileged to be a part of. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you get the picture. God is building his people he calls a temple. And Paul said, you know, I was privileged to help lay that foundation by the grace God has given me. The word grace is gift. Gift means unmerited. And he's referring here to his spiritual gift. Uh, spiritual gifts are called graces 
in the Scripture many times. And so his grace, his spiritual gift, we know to be apostleship. He was an apostle, a unique gift that was needed to launch the church in those earliest days because, in fact, Paul had to go around and tell people to put their faith in Christ even though there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that would tell the story of the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. There was no New Testament. So you needed the apostle who could hear directly from God and could speak with complete authority to, to launch the church. There was no Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to tell how you need to be saved by putting your faith in Christ, not by good works. And so <clears throat> he says, I was privileged to lay this foundation as an expert builder, or the word could be master builder. The, the, the Greek word is actually interesting, architecton. Architect is where, we, is where we get our English word for architect. Is I was this guy who had a part of this foundational design of the church and to announce what God's plan was for the church. And then he says, someone else is building on it. You, a foundation is not enough. Someone else is building on it. And it seems to refer to this ongoing issue of the first couple chapters, how people were taking sides. I like, I like Apollos. I like Peter. I like Paul. Whatever it might be. And says, remember, we are not in competition. Yes, I got to lay the foundation of the church, but everybody is, is building on it. And then, last part of verse 10, he turns deadly serious when he says, but each one should be careful. Take heed or take care be very careful how you build on it. It's like, it's like you picture Paul in that upper room of, of Gaius who hosted the church, and he's almost like pointing fingers around the room and says, this church is very important to Jesus Christ. He defends it like you defend your family. And so be very careful how you build on the church foundation that I've laid. And what is that foundation? Well, that's unchangeable. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation is the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one can lay a foundation other than that. There is nothing else the church is founded on than the person and, and the work of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. This is what the church is about, is reaching people with this message. Uh, you know that uh, most, most of you know that we use a little acronym RBI to describe our purpose as a church. Years ago, we were just trying to crystallize what, what are we all about? Why did God put us here? R is reaching. B is building. I is involving. We want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then help build them up in their faith and help get them involved in reaching and building others. He says, that's what we are about. Heaven is populated from Corinth to Port Washington. Heaven is populated as we communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you know that Paul was sadly forced to address all kinds of immaturity issues and sin issues in this church in Corinth. And the issue was that all these marks of immaturity are distracting this church in Corinth from being what God intended it to be. They've got the foundation. He says, you guys are meeting together. You are, you are believers. But remember the, at the opening of the, of the book, we found our theme that we are called to be holy. And if we are not pursuing holiness, we will not be pursuing this holy temple, verse 17. 
God's temple is holy. God's temple is sacred. If we are not personally holy, we won't be invested in his holy building project. So you can almost, I think, in this passage, sense Paul's voice kind of tighten in intensity. While at the same time, he is sharing some very exciting news that God sees when people are sincerely invested in what God is doing on earth, building the church, and he will reward us. So let's read carefully the, the core of this passage then, verses 12 to 15, and, and try to follow along. And, and this is so important. If any man builds on this foundation, Jesus Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, the day, will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Do you catch the, the impact, the accountability that we have to invest our lives in the kingdom work, the temple building project? God is calling together an eternal family that we will be with him forever. He says, you've got to be invested in that because we will be examined and accountable and rewarded for it. So many times, too many times, it seems like in the last year or so, we've heard about an earthquake, and especially in some countries, an earthquake is just devastating as building after building crushes down. And you read about the body counts, and, and you know what's going to happen after there's been an earthquake. Then there's going to be this evaluation that says, Who, whose fault is this? Why, did, why didn't these things stand up? And, and too often you, you then hear how, how certain builders were, were, were cheating. They were signing off on stuff that was, was going to destroy a building in a, in a time like this. So he says, be very careful how each one builds. Later on in this book, in 1 Corinthians 15, you'll, we'll come to that chapter called the resurrection chapter, and, and we realize we are destined for eternity with Christ. We're going to be raised from the dead. The death is not the end. The, 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 the tomb, the graves, the, all the sadness, all the grief, that's not the end. It's the beginning of the rest of our life. And so we're just here briefly, and then boom, we are in heaven. This life is not all there is. So he says, Corinthians what are you going to do with your life? Chapters 1 and 2, are you going to squabble it away with these divisive things in the church? Chapters 1 and 2, don't do that. Are you going to succumb to the immorality that he'll talk about in chapters 5 and 6 and, and, and not build his church because you're just enslaved by the sexual sin? Are you going to be thinking about divorce? Are you going to, be, you're going to just be ignoring the needs of your spouse and end up in divorce, chapter 7? Because those are, those, are, those are distractions from building his church. And Chapters 8 and 9, are you going to be offending your brother and sister over stuff that doesn't really matter? But I got my rights. 
He says, you can do that, and you can end up with your, your life at the end as a believer with a handful of ashes or with rewards. And it'll matter. It'll matter. came across this quote this week. We often hear life is short, better enjoy it. How about eternity is long? Better prepare for it. That's, that's the concept. So be careful how you build. If anyone builds on this foundation, which is Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light because it's going to be like a, like a fire that's going to rush through. If you think through that list of six building materials, there are two definite categories. Do you notice that? The first three, gold, silver, precious stones. Second three, wood, hay, and straw. The contrast could not be greater. Remember, we're building what? Verse 16, we're building God's temple. The church in which, in which the Spirit of God dwells. So if a fire sweeps through, which of these building materials will survive? Ah, gold will survive fire. Silver survives fire. Costly or precious stones will survive fire. So that no matter what happens in this life, there can be something that really lasts for those, 30, those first 30 million years. And God is eager to reward us forever for how we serve him now. And so the question obviously comes to mind, what are those, what are those rewards? Uh, I don't think there's any way that earthlings like us in these finite minds can completely comprehend what, what those eternal rewards are all about. Actually, uh, next week's study, as we continue on, picks up this theme of, of rewards. We'll talk some more actually about this, but I'd like you actually to go, uh, just look ahead to chapter 4, verse 5, where I think we really capture the essence of what eternal rewards are about. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each one will receive his praise from God. Can you find other passages that say God's going to praise you? Very few. The scripture is absorbed with the issue of us praising God here. Descriptions of heaven is us praising God there. But can you imagine the value of God praising you? This is incredible. Jesus likewise told some key parables about uh, being faithful because we're like servants that the king leaves in charge and then he comes back and the outcome that you want to hear is that the king says to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's all I really need to know about rewards is if some way my Savior is going to point with pleasure to some thimbleful of what I did to help add to his church or love his church, then any sacrifice, any, any effort uh, to, to overcome distracting sin, any, any struggle is worth it if he's going to give me his personal approval. So, so it's so exciting to think 
The day will show it because the because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work, and if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. That's, first of all, a very exciting promise, that gold, silver, precious stones, sometimes maybe the littlest things that we did that were done in sincerity to serve Christ, he sees it. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward that. That's exciting. But we also see the sobering side of the coin, don't we? But if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but those only as one escaping through the, through the flames. So the, so the same fire is going to expose these other building materials, wood, hay, and straw. And there will be a day in which we will see if our life investments have mattered forever. Or if we've just been building our own little house of straw and sticks that goes through the fire and gets blown away like the big bad wolf did with those little pigs' houses. Wood, hay, and straw. Because the day will, the word is test or examine. It's, it's what you'd expect if you bring in a piece of, of jewelry. Could be costume jewelry, and it turns out to be plastic. It could be something valuable, but a jeweler can look at that and he'll peer through it through some some uh, special lens, and he will maybe weigh it, and and he can he can research to know what it is. What do you have here? And test the value of it. And Paul is urging his friends in Corinth to just get over themselves and what they think is important, and say, what is what is Christ going to see? You've got the foundation. Your eternity is already secured because you have put your faith in Christ. But are you going to just grab your eternal life and go? Or are you going to cherish the church that Jesus died for and that, that he is seeking to build? Would they remain carnal, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2? Would they be babies and selfish? Would they be believers who essentially live with exactly the same priorities as their unbelieving neighbors? They would be saved. But their investment of life would be worthless. As we, as we uh, think about these stark, this stark contrast, uh, makes it, well, you know, is everything I'm doing wrong? You know, is... Is everything that I'm trying to enjoy in life somehow worthless? And we, we back off and say, no, we understand that God blesses. He has blessed his people all through the ages. There has been enjoyment and joy and relationships and, and, and even material things. And First Timothy 6, he's given us all things ritually to enjoy, Okay. But this is challenging us to think about those things that we enjoy, be they material things, be they hobbies, be they projects. Are they blessings that motivate us to serve Christ better? Or are they obsessions that distract us from serving Christ the way he designed? It can be the same good thing. That is at least innocent or neutral. It's not a, we're not talking now about, about the sin issues of 1 Corinthians. He's talking about, does it have eternal value? Is it a blessing that draws me to serve Christ better? Or is it a 
obsession that is distracting me because it's taking all my time. It's taking all my mental energy. And I've had to say no to things that I think God wants me to do because, well, you know, I'm doing whatever, hobby sports projects. You all know I enjoy my motorcycle, right? It's one of those things. If it's Tuesday and good weather, I want to get out on my, on my motorcycle. And in the dead of winter, if I'm going to be looking at Facebook, I'm, I'm looking at one of my groups. You, you would laugh at my feed. But it's, it's Goldwing Riders, and it's Gold, Wisconsin and Goldwing, and it's, it's uh, long-distance riders, and it's senior motorcyclists. I qualify. And... Uh, So you, you read about everybody else's fun, right? Everybody else's trips. And, and uh, I kind of envy those retired guys on the senior site. Oh, we're doing this 20-day 20, 20 trip, and we're going to go see here. We're going to go see all four corners of the United States. I'm going, oh, man, that would be so fun. I know I'm crazy, but anyhow, that sounds like such fun to me. And then suddenly, I'm sad for them. Because they're also talking about the replaced joints and how long can they stay on two wheels and you just begin to sense it's all they got and they're just trying to squeeze that last little bit of fun out of life that they know is rapidly coming to the end and so I need to draw myself back to say no this, this is my hobby this is something good that God gives me and so there's a week or two here I can do a special trip and there's a, a week a day here and I can do this and and I can't let my blessing become an obsession. Because otherwise something good will become something worthless. Something that could have spurred me on to more gold, silver, and costly stones becomes wood, hay, and straw, and it's a pile of ashes. Something that only the Spirit of God, we can't judge one another, but only the Spirit of God can show us where we are in these things. Because the day will bring it to light. The day. This is, this is a judgment day, but be very careful you understand which judgment day. This is judgment for believers, not unbelievers. There's a time when unbelievers will reach a final judgment called the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. And unbelievers are judged for not believing in Christ. And therefore, their sin is going to be an issue. And the lake of fire is a destination. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those uh, of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have that foundation. And this day is also called elsewhere by Paul the judgment seat of Christ, sometimes known as the Bema. That's the Greek word for the Bema seat, as it was known. So this is not a judgment for sin that he's talking about here. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Christ, your sin will never be an issue. Because you are saved by grace alone, by faith alone and grace alone. And your sin debt is marked paid. And you are declared righteous in heaven forever. Your, your status in the family is secure. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven that's not on the table here at all. The foundation of the gospel never changes. But what are you building on that foundation? Are you building something that will survive? The fire test is the issue. Second letter to the same people, Paul said, so we make it our goal 
to please him. If you want to capture the mindset, is it your goal to please him? And he's talking about whether we're at home in the body or away from it. He says, I don't care if I live or die, but I do want to please him because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body, whether good or bad, and good or bad is not necessarily sinful or not. It's talking about valuable or worthless. It's, just, it's the contrast between the gold, silver, precious stones and the wood, hay, and straw. So we're going to appear somehow, especially. Bema was the, uh, the, the judgment seat in what kind of the, like our Olymp- Olympics, the Isthmian Games. And if you, if you won, it's kind of like you had a medal ceremony and get the, you get the wreath of, of, the, of the victors. Lewis Sperry Chafer founder of Dallas Seminary, wrote, the judge at the Bema bestowed awards on the victors. He did not whip the losers. And that's, that's, how, that's how our athletic uh, Olympics works as well, right? They don't, they, don't, they don't whip those who don't make it to the, to the medal ceremony. And likewise, you are not going to be judged for sin, but there are rewards for serving Christ. Paul used this same term, the Bema seat, in Romans 14. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. The issue of rewards or not is based on judging our brothers. And they had a number of issues going on, both it's similar actually in Corinth as well as what he's writing to Rome. Some people said, you know, you really should just eat vegetables. Other people said, it's okay to eat meat. And then the issue was, can you eat meat that has actually probably been used to offer to idols? And then it ends up in the market. Is that okay? Or, and so these were issues of conscience. And some people said, no, I can't eat that meat. And other Christians said, yeah, it's okay. It's just meat. And Paul really said, it is okay. It is just meat. But you guys need to decide these non-essentials. And most importantly, he says, you dare not be judging and seeing and viewing each other with contempt about these issues. Through the decades, I've seen way too many issues with, over which believers have viewed each other with contempt. Worship music, hymns and organs, guitars and drums. Uh, what do you wear to church? You know, there are issues, you know, formal, casual, are tattoos okay, hairstyles, uh, masks, vaccine. Should I go further? What, what tempts you to view other Christians with contempt? Because as we struggle with those things, we have to say, now wait an eternal minute here. Am I really going to jeopardize eternal rewards Regarding, because I'm regarding some of the believers with contempt. He says, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Because we're going to give an account of those things. And, and frankly, these things are, are so good for us because they, they, they force us to decide, well, I view people with grace or with contempt. And there's a big difference. There's a 30 million year difference. Crowns are another way that uh, Paul describes Rewards, 1 Corinthians 9, still in the athletic competition metaphor. Do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete 
but only one receives the prize, so run to win. Each competitor must exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown in athletics, but we an imperishable one. So people were excited about sports then as now, right? Sports can become an obsession or can be a blessing, but at this point it's just his illustration. If you won a competition in the stadium, uh, the, they didn't have medals. They, they have literally a wreath that's made of, of natural branches. And so it was a crown. It was literally like a crown for a day. Maybe it lasts a week before the leaves would fall off and, and so forth. But, but you got that recognition, right? What a great illustration of how temporary human accolades are. You can be at the very top of your profession. And then you retire. And guess what? You get forgotten. And so you enjoy some of life with the golden years, so-called, and at some point you end up in assisted living. People are helping you do stuff you've always done for yourself. And then some disease, something takes you, and you're, you're listed in the obituary column. I'm sorry, it's not terribly encouraging. Unless you're built on the foundation of Christ and you realize that's just the beginning. The end is just the beginning. And can we even begin to fathom the importance of Jesus saying, well done. Well done. You know, sometimes I think sincere Christians have thought about rewards and thought, well, isn't that selfish to try to earn rewards? Shouldn't we just serve him out of love? Shouldn't we just serve him to glorify him? And Scripture doesn't say, there's no, con- there's, no, there's no contradiction in that. Serve him out of love for the foundation of Jesus Christ. Salvation is free. But it's like a little, a little kid that comes to, to mom and, and decides to do something just really spontaneously motivated by love. The mom can't help but say, that was a wonderful thing to do. And if God says, that was a wonderful thing to do, how motivating is that to do more? First Thessalonians, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? So this is projecting when Christ comes back, right? What, what is our real crown? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, I mean, this... Don't, the crowns are not literal. I mean, that'd be weird. Billy Graham walking around in heaven with a whole stack of crowns, you know. But it's people. It seems to be people. Wouldn't it be amazing to just meet the people that we helped win to Christ? Maybe because at our workplace, we're about the only one that had a good attitude in a negative environment. And people saw something different in us. And we were one more piece in their path to coming to faith in Christ. And because someone walked in the doors and they were hard to love, but we, we loved them or you loved them. And, and now you get to meet them in heaven. And or you gave sacrificially to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. You gave hours of your time and talent to contribute to ministries which together were reaching people with the gospel. Is it not you that you are our crown? You can't take 
possessions to heaven, but you can take friends and family. Crowns. And Paul said this one. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, this isn't just a Paul thing, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. It's us in this room. If you've longed for his appearing, if you've been thinking about eternity as you live on earth, you don't ignore earth, but you realize there is an eternal impact and desire in your heart, the crown of righteousness, that Jesus will somehow acknowledge Paul's efforts to live holy in an unholy world. Do you think God doesn't notice that you are fighting fiercely in the power of the Spirit to overcome your sin habits and your sin addictions? Do you think God doesn't see how important that is to you and how much you're, you're going to lean into him and, and get all the help of the body of Christ that you can to overcome those things. Do you think he doesn't care and that he wouldn't reward it? He's the righteous judge. Paul was writing uh, his last letter, 2 Timothy, uh, from prison again. And this is all part of that. I fought the good fight. I'm, I know I'm towards the end. Tradition says that Paul was, was martyred during this imprisonment, and we, we assume that to be true. But it's like Paul's thinking, it's okay. It will have to have been an unrighteous judge who would put Paul to death, right? But he says, it's okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be seeing the righteous judge. And so the moment I die, I win. Because the righteous judge will see and evaluate. Life is short, enjoy it? No. Eternity is long. Prepare for it. Revelation. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. This is an issue of perseverance because you could be a flash in the pan. You, you know, you're really enthusiastic for a year or two and you're one of the, like, that plants in, in Mark 4 and, and then, and then the, the worries and everything and you go, oh, I don't know about this. He says, no, no. You, all the way through, you persevere. Revelation 19.8, sometimes called uh, this, this would be after the church has been taken up to heaven, raptured, and, and we're in the presence of God, the marriage of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, sometimes it's called. She, the church, was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. When, when Christ finally gathers his whole church together, I mean, I mean the whole church, all 2,000 plus years of the church, we're dressed in our deeds, somehow. We somehow wear that. I don't know what that means, or if only we can see them, and Christ can see. I don't know. Priscilla's parents, through the years, hosted virtually every missionary that would come to their, their church, and they'd have them for a meal. And uh, then uh, they, they, mom would always bring, her, her, bring out her missionary tablecloth and have the Missionary signed their name on the tablecloth, and then they're gone. She would embroider the name. So she had this whole tablecloth full of embroidered names. She filled up three of them. And then the kids fight over them <laughs> now that she's gone. I don't know, do, do, do angels embroider our service on our robes? I'm kidding, but I just know that whatever seems to be a big deal here probably doesn't matter so much there. There. 
and, and, and some of the simplest quiet service for Christ is really, really going to be a big deal. One of the last verses of the Bible, behold, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to pay each one according to what he has done. What, what, what bigger final words could we have in our scripture? So Jesus will reward it. Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So what is the loss? This is not the loss of salvation. That's not, that's not the issue at all. Salvation is based faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation does not come with strings attached. A gift is a gift is a gift. Salvation does not require good works to prove if you are saved. It's a gift of God so that no one will boast. Don't confuse the issue of how we get to heaven with the issue of how we can be rewarded and be given God's approval. He will still be saved. Paul said, I know some people are going to be confused by this. If I say you're going to suffer a loss, they're going to right away say loss of salvation. It's not. You'll still be saved, but it's like <laughs> be the smell of smoke. Because, because you invested in your obsessions and good things became worthless things because it's burnt up. But he says, It'll test the quality of the work, verse 13. But verse 15 says, if it is burned up, what is it? It is our work, our life. It, it is going to be burned up, eternally wasted somehow. He draws a stark contrast between, you know, we picture Paul over here, and we can picture nothing over there, and we know that we're all in this struggle, aren't we? We're all in this, living in this spectrum. But what are we going to do with the years we still have is the question. When will we stop and reprioritize? Paul was writing to a church about their church. When he then said then in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Do you realize what I'm trying to build here? I'm building a place where I live. Paul laid the foundation, and you guys are supposed to be building on it. And it's a sacred temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy or sacred, and you are that temple. So the reason there is no temple today, we don't go to Jerusalem or some Mecca location, but rather we are the temple, and this is talking about temple corporate. There's a later passage in 1 Corinthians where he's going to say, you're like individually temples of, of the Holy Spirit, so you need to live pure, right? But this is, this is the corporate temple. He says, y'all are the temple of God. Look around this room and you see the temple. During the week, this temple is gone. But when we gather, we're the temple. And it's holy and it's sacred. And so what you and I are doing to win people to faith in Christ and serving each other and loving each other through our faults, and that, that's, that's the temple. Corinthian, Corinth had pagan temples. They were, everybody was well acquainted with what a temple looked like. And in a, it was a horrific, satanic city and where immorality ruled in the temples and paganism and all that. And, and yet God had one place 
in all of unholy Corinth, God had one place, Gaius's upper room, where common people like you and me would gather and sit on the floor and sit around the walls and would gather around fellowship. And he says, the way you treat each other, the way you build up each other, and the way you reach out to this city is, is what matters. And if any, the, the final warning is so, so harsh. It's, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for the temple is sacred. A little bit vague and puzzling what that means. I suppose it could be unbelievers who were false teachers, and they would suffer eternally. Or is this more uh, referring to, again, the one who is investing in worthless things? Our, our lives can like self-destruct. If you're going to sow division and bitterness, do you think that God won't discipline? If you're going to succumb to immorality, chapter 5, he talks about church discipline. Too many, too many sad stories of how Christians have destroyed their lives. Perhaps it's saying nothing, nothing but that. So wherever, wherever this message would have reached someone there or today you or, or whoever might listen to this, it's time for maybe a U-turn before you self-destruct and, and just mess up life and mess up the lives of others. Because God doesn't take lightly any Christian who lives selfishly, unholy, callously hurting others because you don't mess with his church. He's building something holy. And so this is a sobering warning, and that's, that's where the passage ends. But we know that God's an encourager, and, and uh, there's another similar warning passage in Hebrews. Hebrews has a lot of serious warnings, but I love the way God's Word uh, follows up one of those warning passages and says this to our encouragement. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, these warnings, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with or accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit what has been promised. And he gives the illustration of, of Abraham. I, I'm convinced this is, this is who you want to be. That's why we gathered this morning, right? Because we do care about the eternal stakes of how we live our lives. And we can be sure that God's sees and God says, well done, when at work, you, you are the one who maintains a, a positive attitude and treats difficult people with respect. You're the one who determines to bring home to your spouse each day a positive, helpful attitude after a hard day. You're the one who wants to model for your children uh, priorities of, of the church and fellowship and goodness and generosity, and you're the ones who are making the sacrifices to help. You're the ones who are, are studying the Word of God, who are making a priority to come and fellowship and, and helping to love those who are maybe even hard to love. And, and don't ever think that God doesn't see and that God doesn't reward and that God will not eternally say, well done. 
You might have three years to do that. You might have 30. But I know we got a 30 million year start in forever. And what we do today really does matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sobered by the eternal impact of of life on earth. We are grateful for the promise of heaven. Lord, help us to be those who live in gratitude for your grace. And I'm so grateful so, for, the, for the foundation, the, the sufficiency, the fullness of the sacrifice that you paid for us so that our sin is never again an issue. But help us never to take it for granted where, we, where we, we view our salvation lightly and just go on living our life for self. May we be both warned and encouraged today at the impact of our lives and the amazing privilege of heaven to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant.